when it comes to heating up your business. It's all about making more bacon. And that requires an expert with a particular set of skills. You need a Baconologist. Building authentic connections, online networking, through social selling, relationship marketing, mindset and training. Yeah, that's bacon. Get ready, because we're about to fry up a sizzling success strategy. This is the Bacon Podcast with your host and business Baconologist, Brian Basilico. It's a lot of bees, man. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Basilico, and this is the podcast where you learn to make your business sizzle online. So are you ready to fry up some new business? Hey, peeps. I am uber excited. I have a great repeat guest. As a matter of fact, he's been on the show a couple of times before, but I decided to have him back on because things have kind of changed. You'll learn a little bit more about that in a bit. And his name is Kelling Flukiger. He is with Kelling Flukiger International, and the man truly is international. I mean... He spends time in Canada, down in Arizona. He gets around. So, Kellen, man, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me back again. Yes, man, I love having you on. It's a great time. So, anyways, um, something happened between 2017 and now in your life. You died, which is amazing that you're here. So... I want to kind of dig into that a little bit and let my audience know a little bit more about what happened. So can you tell us the difference between MRSA and Mensa? And I know you have connections to both. So what's the difference between those two? Well, Mensa is the smart guys, gals organization. And, you know, yeah, I belong up there and all that jazz. MRSA is... Methicillin resistant Staphylococcus aureus, which is a superbug, a antibiotic resistant killer thing that kills people. And that's what I had in both lungs. And it literally killed you, right? It I was in a coma for uh, three weeks. My heart stopped and uh, I died in the emergency room at the University of Alberta ICU. And they had me in biological isolation as well as the ICU and had to restart my heart and everything. And during that time, I had a one of those incredible experiences that you never think is going to happen to you. A near-death experience, meeting God at the door, which turned into a book by that name. Awesome. So you've written a handful of books. I mean, you've been prolific since you um, came back to this world, right? Well, I wrote uh, several books, uh, three books, actually, about that experience and then one that happened six months later. I've been a total of 13 and I've got three underway. So I really enjoy writing. It's a way of expressing things that I think help people and, and do good. Cause like you, that's uh, the only reason I do anything is to see how I can serve. Awesome sauce, man. Well, anyway, so what we're going to talk about today is your ultimate life. And uh, of course you have a new um, perspective on life as do I, cause I almost died last year as well. So um, that's one thing we have in common, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about your addiction to average. Now I've been addicted to alcohol, but I, I'm not sure if I've been addicted to average. So can you explain what that means? Well, addiction to average is I think the state of nearly everyone. And we live there. It kind of, it kind of grows on us because we're we're taught often not to stand out. We're taught to color in the lines and to mm-hmm. stay here. And they have car commercials that say color outside the lines, but they're still driving on the highway, doing the same things everybody else does, just in a little bit of a different car. So we're socialized from very young to conform to a certain set of things and to expect in a, in you know the American dream: buy a house, pick a pants, get a job, do some stuff. And in the last few years, okay, that's changed a little bit, a little bit more entrepreneurship and everything else. But the idea is you limit 
to the sort of middle, upper middle, somewhere in the pack, what you think you can do. And that right there, and then we settle in. We just kind of settle in. This is what I got. This is what I'm good for. And we live there. And that's all we do. Gotcha. So there are three parts to getting beyond that addiction to average. And so let's start with the first one. What is the first thing that we have to know about our addiction? Well, first of all, um, when you got addicted to alcohol or I did to drugs, whatever, we did that to either hide from something or to party or to do whatever, and it turned into a problem. Nobody starts out life mm-hmm. planning as a baby, walking, you know, learning to walk and going to school the first time and making friends and everything. No one plans to spend their life settling for mediocrity or average. We are socialized. We are we're graded, you know, have A, B, C, D, F, or whatever grade system you use. We have a bit of competition, and there's some ranking there, but it is in this giant context of this is how life works. And so we are brought up uh, almost in every case to color in the lines, to go to school, to graduate with a certain, you know, set of things, to maybe find some interests, but you're limited as to what you think. Nobody really believes, or very few, really believe they can change the world. When we're teenagers, all of us are, you know, a little bit idealistic, and we think we're going to do something spectacular, and very quickly you go to college, you get out into the first part of your essence or meeting the world and it's like very quickly apparent that you're banging against a glass ceiling a brass ceiling whatever you're, you're going to be sort of stuck in this middle thing and then you look inside yourself and say well what makes me different i, I i'm i guess this is what we get i guess this is all there is yeah i think that all of us are a you know a culmination of the experiences in our lives i mean our parents you know I don't know about you, but my parents grew up in the, you know, the 20s, 30s and 40s. And, you know, by the time I was born in the 60s, I mean, there was a a mindset back then as you went to work, you did what you did. You were good. You know, my dad got a gold watch from AT&T. He, you know, he had that box that he lived in. This was the American dream. And I think that, you know, times have really changed over the bunch of years that we've been around, especially in the last couple um, can you talk about that and how that setup kind of lays out the, the foundation that we have? Uh, uh, totally. Because uh, my own personal journey, I, I wanted to be a musician from as long as I can remember. I learned to play the piano when I was four uh, and, you know, I played it all my life. I've taught piano since I was 17. I started writing music, you know, played half a dozen instruments, et cetera, et cetera. When I got out on my own, uh, I'm 20, 21, 22. I mean, I left home at 17, but out of college and started doing stuff, you know, the whole idea is when are you going to get a job? When are you going to do these things that you're supposed to do to to be respectable, to be safe, to be okay? The idea that I wanted to be a musician and truly make a, a living and a mark doing that was not only scary, but was wrong. Musicians are bad people. They they do drugs. They do bad stuff. They're creeps. And, you know, and that goes to anything, artists, musicians, writers, all of those kind of other things. And while the times have changed, and you and I, everybody doesn't think they're going to go to work for 40 years anymore. No one thinks that. The average person changes careers, not just jobs, at least seven or eight times in their life now. So nobody believes that. But also, even people that I meet, they believe that they're only going to get up a little ways. They're not 
truly going to stand out, make a difference, and cause something significant to happen, either for themselves or others. They actually don't internally believe that, even if they know they're not going to work in some corporate gig for 40 years. So essentially, we, we kind of have this own limiting belief that there's more for us, you know, that, that we can't do more than what's in front of us, right? We live there. And you see it because people, they still work for the weekend. I don't care what the job is. They work for the weekend. They're not connected to a purpose. They're living in a, in a place of, you know, buying a new car every so many years. And can I take some nice vacations? And it's still in the lines. It's still the box of, you know, what's expected, even though... There are examples, there are shining examples of others, but they're weird, lucky outliers or something happened that I can't do that. And I'm just so firmly knowing it's not even a thing I think I know because of the experiences I've had that isn't even close to the limit of what we can accomplish as as divine, infinitely powerful people. So that takes us kind of to the the third piece of this or the third leg of the stool, and that is we control the ability to make that change, right? We control it 100%. And when I died, uh, in the three conversations that I had with God at the door between this life and the next, and, you know, if that kind of thing interests you, there's a book called Meeting God at the Door. You can read about the details. But in one of those conversations, four things became really clear. And that was, number one, we're all divine beings created on purpose. We're not an accident. Number two, we have gifts and talents. And everybody knows that. And you hear so much hype about that. So people talk about that, your, you know, your gift, your zone of genius and everything else. But so few people do something with that, really. The third thing I came to know is we have a purpose. People talk a lot about this finding your passion, finding your purpose, and it's a real thing. We had some things we agreed to do and we were excited to do when we came here. And the funny thing is we sense this innately, but there are very few people who say, you know what, I'm going to do that. I saw a video the other day uh, of a guy who said, you know, I just decided I was going to go where my intuition told me. And he talked about a journey that happened. He left the job he was at. He happened to be an architect. And he ended up teaching spiritual renewal stuff in Ghana and, you know, following this path. And by doing that, it turned out to be this incredible, not only transformation to him, but his ability to assist, to bless, to help, to make a difference with other people was a hundred times as big. And on top of it, he made a good living, but he did it doing something that was connected to who he felt he was, where he had that connection to zone of genius. So that, that was the third thing is that we have a purpose. We really do. And the fourth thing, and this is where so many people stumble, all the help that we need to do that is available from both sides of that door. But the key to unlocking that help is our choice. So whether you're in business as a mid-level executive at a company like I have been, or an entrepreneur running a recording studio as I have been, or a business podcaster and mighty enabler as Brian is, or whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter. If you want it, and everybody doesn't have to want it, but you have to want it, you can find, connect with, and live into a purpose that does three things. It allows you to feel purposeful every day. It allows you to create 
prosperity in the broadest sense, not just with cash, because I've been where you had more cash than brains, and that's not happy, but purpose, prosperity, and joy, and that's the thing that I use as a definition of your ultimate life. Okay, do you have any kind of, like, example or case study of where you've worked with somebody and guided them through this process and where they started and where they've been. And obviously we don't have an hour to talk through this. Do you have kind of a quick story you can give us? I do. I have a person who was a world, world renowned speaker, spoke all over the world, 140 countries of the 200 or 210 or whatever there are, but a whole bunch of them uh, and done all kinds of stuff. Tired of traveling, and had lived in the notion that he always had to be the smartest guy in the room. He told me that. So this is his words. I lived in the place where I always had to be the, the star, the smartest guy in the room. He finally realized, and we worked together for several years, his passion, his real purpose was enabling people in the realm of something he happened to be good at, speaking. So he then stopped traveling, dropped the story that he had to be the smartest guy in the room and went into a business of enabling, coaching, and facilitating people to build impact businesses through speaking, some video work, but mostly through speaking since that's what he was. So he dropped the whole thing about being the smartest guy in the room, found real meaning in his own heart about being the facilitator and enabler of others' success, and built a very successful coaching practice that allowed him to live that passion, make money, feel useful, and create what I called, in one example, the Portland Principle. He told me about a story where he was in Portland one day, and he went up there to support one of his clients, and then something bad happened at the place they were supposed to speak, and something, you know, the client got all worried, and there was a glitch in the program, or this or that, and so the client said, why don't you take part of my time, and, you know, you'll have a guest spot, and, you know, all this stuff that was a signal of retreat, a signal of fear, and he dropped he normally would have said, yeah, because it was a chance for him to shine. He dropped all need for his own aggrandizement, and he went to work with them for hours overnight, redoing their presentation and creating uh, power for them. And then they went on and crushed it and did this incredible thing, and he got exactly nothing out of it except he understood what it was that he had chosen to do. And so he and I coined the phrase, the Portland principle, which means you go in only to serve and you never know what amazing things come out of it when you do that. Yep. That's just like the book. Uh, one of my mentors, his name is Al Ritter, and he wrote this book called The 100-0 Principle. It's give 100% of yourself, 100% of the time, expect nothing to return and watch what happens. And that's that truly is kind of counterintuitive to what we've been taught, right? Well, that's the whole thing about what we're socialized to do. It's dog eat dog. You'll get the best you can, but you can't rise too high. Maybe you can work for the weekend and be okay and have a boat and a nice truck in the yard if you want one and a vacation here and there. But that's not creating the kind of impact that this my, this my client did with that person or the 100-0 principle. That's where you really change somebody's life and the trajectory of the future instead of just the cash register at the boat dock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, one of the, I think the fallacies in life, in order for you to succeed, other people have to fail. That is so pernicious because the, the truth, and there's so little truth, the truth is there is enough. 
and to spare. And the level to which we could raise each other with love and service following the 100-0 principle, 100% of yourself, 100% of the time, only in service. And watch what happens. The, the, the socializing that I talked about is completely antithetical to that. And the transition to that is so difficult because we, we, will it really work? I don't know. Oh, oh. And when I teach sales, which I do a lot, the, the whole point of all this is to figure out how you can truly, at the deepest level, serve somebody. And then you're not selling and there's no squirminess at all because you have gone after it in the, in the, totally in the mindset of what is a problem that they really have, they know they have, can I even fix it? And if I can, how can I do the very best for them? I love it. And it's, it's so true because, you know, it goes back to a lot of principles that, you know, people like Bob Berg, givers gain, you know, from BNI. I mean, the, the, it's the law of reciprocity. I mean, all of that stuff is so important. And you have to realize that in order for you to be a success, that you have to be part of the engine that drives everything. Part right? of the engine. And I, I have a phrase that I use. Every mm -hmm. breath we take, we add something to the world. Carbon dioxide, at least. But my phrase is add good to the world. Like make a conscious, intentional choice in every interaction. How can I add good to the world? I love it. Kellen, man, this has been a blast and some great inspirational stuff. I'm sure my audience is going to want to get a hold of you. What is the best way for them to reach you now? Well, the easiest way is my email, Coach Kellen Flukiger. And yes, you do have to spell my name right, and it'll be in the show notes. Coach Kellen Flukiger at gmail.com. Uh, I have a podcast called Your Ultimate Life. Uh, you can connect with me on Facebook. I'm very active there, LinkedIn. Uh, and there aren't, there's only two Kellen Flukigers in the world of 8 billion people, and the other one's my son. So that's, uh, those are the ways, Facebook, LinkedIn, website, and I happily respond to messages and love to get to know and chat with people because my biggest question is always, how can I help you? I love it, man. Well, thanks again for coming on and dropping some sizzling hot bacon knowledge bombs on my peeps. Man, it is always a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm so glad you made it out of the hospital alive. <laughs> it's so much more fun. It's so much more. Let me do that again. It's so much more fun than trying to reach you via a seance. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, talking to a corpse or a seance or some other woo-woo weirdo stuff, even though I know what's on the other side, it's a lot easier to be here in person on the mics. I appreciate you, man. Thanks again. You betcha. Thanks for having me. Thank you for letting us sprinkle some bacon bits into your brains. Want some more? Learn more about this podcast and our guest experts at baconpodcast.com. Have questions? Send them to askbrian at baconpodcast.com. Until next time, keep sizzling. And remember, it's all about the bacon.
Thank you for letting us sprinkle some bacon bits into your brains. Want some more? Learn more about this podcast and our guest experts at baconpodcast.com. Have questions? Send them to askbrian at baconpodcast.com. Until next time, keep sizzling. And remember, it's all about the bacon. <laughs>